Possible Worlds is an immersive dance performance about identity formation and its relationship with mental illness and trauma taking place at the Crave Lab on Friday, November 18th. And to tell us more about it, I'm joined by three of the people who are behind this performance. So I'd love to have you introduce yourselves. Uh, Bibiana Ahmed. I work on the video and projections and uh, sort of the technical aspects of the installation. Mercedes Sear. I'm the director, choreographer, and performer. My name is Lara DeBrien, and I'm the costume designer. And we also have Miles the dog giving us some background noises in here. Mercedes, could we start by getting some overview of what is this performance? Sure. It's a semi-autobiographical piece um, that is meant to kind of bring us into our own bodies and the fact that I believe that we live in a limited body because we too closely identify with our stories and that by shedding certain stories, we can sort of open up our identity, but also what is possible for ourselves. Are you coming from an angle of that we limit our own stories or is it more outside? Where's the limitation coming from? I think it's a little bit of both. I think we over-identify with um, certain stories, particularly if they're traumatic or something that sort of is very charged and hangs on to us. But even in as like minute as how we organize our bodies, um, we get used to certain physical organizations. And in doing so, we get a sense of who we are as people. And I believe even as a physical practice that if we practice more, we're able to do more and it opens up the aperture. Viviana, could you talk a little bit about the video installation aspect? Crave is a very unique space, and we're tailoring this iteration of the project to the space. What's unique about it is that it's basically a 360 immersive sort of an ellipse with 14-foot-high projection ceilings, or, or screens, sorry, and surround sound by 120 speakers. So we can really pinpoint where images and sound are placed in relationship to the performing body. Uh, what's also interesting about it is that basically the audience and the performance are enclosed in the same space. So there will be some sort of a, some scripted and some unscripted interactions between the performer and the audience. So to work with some of the major themes of the piece, we're using some of the video pre-recorded where there's actually a lot of material that's going into the visual components. There is uh, sort of traditional video. Uh, we're also shooting some 360, so more three-dimensional video to put into this space that's really good with uh, simulating three-dimensional space and three-dimensional sound. And we're also working with AI. We have a small build that works in relationship with the performer. So we're pre-recording some AI sequences, artificial intelligence oh. sequences also. And all of these different sort of uh, technical images are sort of superimposed, multiplied and repeated or sort of desaturated and sort of almost like disappear depending on which part of the piece that we're in. So it's supposed to support the experience or the immersion of the audience into this sort of mental psychological state and I think that it will work, be more successful at doing that than a traditional proscenium stage, which is, you know, the traditional way of, in the Western sense of audience looking onto a stage and the performer being sort of distant. So we're collapsing these spaces both by the architecture of the room and then also really taking advantage of the scale 
and the intimacy that the technology provides in that space to maximize all of these sort of emotional embodied and visual and audio effects. Sorry, my dog is very active. <laughs> very curious. So, Lara, how does costume help to involve the audience and to convey the messages of the performance? What's really been exciting about this one, we're, we're all born in, with a skin. Um, and as you live and as you have experiences, you start adding coats to yourself. And part of the what we're doing with this piece is actually having a physical shedding of some of those layers and some of those stories that are affecting us to get back to that place where it was before before the trauma, before the stories that have affected you. So we're playing a lot with, as we're building this together in the space, that we, we have this week to explore how we use different layers, like physical layers, to shed away um, physically as we're shedding those emotional layers. So on the one hand, it's the shedding, but also it's layering on and really accepting every layer. Trauma and mental illness tend to be spoken about as obstacles that need to be overcome. But your work looks at trauma and mental illness as aspects of our identity that get folded into our identity and potential catalysts for agency in our lives. So how is this work changing the narrative around these conversations? That's a great question. Um, well, in one hand, it's, since it is semi-autobiographical, I just have parts of myself that are knotted that I can feel that keep coming back as um, thematic things in my work and just in my life, that I was interested in doing this as sort of like almost an exorcism of it. But it's also that it's very common on to some degree, especially in the current world and climate that we live in, to experience some form of trauma and that we that this is not just a dance piece, but also a practice that could be used, that you can use art as a way of telling your story and sort of ridding at least the charge around it. It's not that there's something wrong with that part of your identity. It's made you who you are. It's not looking at mental illness or trauma in a negative way, but instead of fully integrating it so that it isn't a place where you, like a muscle that's knotted, that you just can't like smoothly go past. So it's really about sharing as an act of this is common, this is communal, but it's not even just about my story. It's as a, as a viewer, it's supposed to bring you into your own places that maybe you're stuck or that maybe things need to be communicated in order to release. There's a high probability that some of the audience who comes to be involved in this performance will have trauma of their own. Is there anything that people should be prepared for as they come into it? Yeah, I mean, we have a grounding moment at the very beginning. Um, uh, actually, our composer, Michael Kammers, he comes out of a Buddhist meditation um, lineage, as well as he's currently going to school for um, music therapy, so using music as a therapeutic tool. So we've had a lot of uh, conversations about trauma, being trauma-informed, and that this is a choice to be, especially in a space like this, where there is so much proximity to the dancer and to the story that we want to ground everyone first and it is an opportunity for them to look at their own as they're watching my story identify with their own story but that it's always an option that they can be as close or as far they they have the agency to move within the space they can also leave um, so we're really trying to 
have a co-experience, but that in no way do we want to re-traumatize someone or bring something negative up for someone else. So this performance is coming up on Friday, November 18th at 3 p.m. at the Crave Lab. What other information should listeners know for attending this event? It's free and open to the public. We'll have a little conversation afterwards with some wine. You know, that always incentivizes. And um, everyone's really talented. And it's been a pleasure to get to play in this space and try this next iteration. I guess I would just add that you have also consulted with um, a therapist, uh, Daniel Thompson, correct? And we would like to obviously thank Cray for the opportunity and for the week-long residency. I also, even though I'm not a licensed or mental health professional in any way, I don't think we have any triggering moments in the piece. We've definitely, like in terms of the visuals, I can speak for that. And I also, the one thing that we really didn't cover, we often talk about mental illness as like an individual thing, but I think this piece also alludes to how we may be around mental illness that may be uh, someone else's and how you reconcile those dynamics and how those dynamics also affect you if you're, let's say, grow up in, a con- in conditions like that or have certain more long-term exposure and how it's sort of internalized. So I think it's kind of important, and I think people will find different ways of relating to the piece, not just from necessarily their first-person individual experience, but maybe also through more secondary or tertiary experiences. Well, thank you so much for coming on to Hudson Mohawk Magazine and for telling us about possible worlds. Thank you, Bibiana, Mercedes, and Lara. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.